Welcome to another edition of the NCBI podcast. I'm June Tinsley, Head of Advocacy and Communications with NCBI, and delighted to have you join us today. My guest today is Senator Martin Conway, and thank you for taking the time to have a chat with us. My pleasure, June. Great, great. Um, and people obviously know who you are, but I suppose uh, for those who, who aren't as only familiar with you, would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, of course, no problem, June. And listen, thanks for uh, um, the opportunity to um, speak in your podcast. I'm from County Clare. That's where I hail from, uh, Ennis Diamond in North Clare. Um, I was born in 1974 um, and I was born with what's just, what's known as congenital cataracts, uh, which means they're cataracts that um, I was born with that um, were hereditary and were passed down from my father, um, who in turn uh, inherited his from his father. Uh, so back in 1974, um, the procedures and the medical uh, science wasn't as advanced as it is today. Uh, so my father and his wisdom decided to bring me to London, uh, where the cataracts were removed. Um, but again, in 1974, uh, technologies weren't as good as they are today. So um, I was left uh, with a severe vision impairment and my level of eyesight would be uh, under 20%. Uh, so I am legally blind and um, I also then, I suppose, as a result of the surgeries and uh, the cataracts and so on, I would have a tremor in my eye um, uh, and uh, in both eyes. And I actually only look through one eye at a time. But because I've lived that all my life uh, with those uh, uh, conditions, uh, I don't notice any difference. So I've never been fully sighted. I've never had more than 20%. Uh, so I don't know what it's like to be fully sighted, whereas many visually impaired people would, would have been fully sighted uh, and would have lost their sight, whereas I never had the sight in the first place. Um, so that's uh, a brief background. I, I grew up then in Ennis Diamond with my family and um, I went to integrated education, uh, both primary and secondary, and I went on then to UCD where I did um, a degree in economics and politics. Um, went into business briefly uh, for a few years, um, was elected a member of Clare County Council in 2004, was re-elected in 2009. And I was elected to Shannon then on the 29th of April uh, 2011 uh, and uh, was re-elected in 2016 and re-elected again uh, in the last Shannon election in 020. Um, so that's a, 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 a very brief uh, biography of uh, Martin Conway. Well, thank you very much um, and congrats on all your accomplishments so far. Yeah. Can I you. ask you, um, what would you perceive to be the main challenges that you face every day uh, living with it, uh, only 20% vision? Um, there were many. Uh, um, there were some more than others. Um, as a politician representing uh, rural Ireland, not being able to drive is the single biggest obstacle and the single biggest challenge. Um, of course, in politics, politics is a people business. Um, so recognising people uh, is a gift that many of my colleagues have and recognizing faces and being able to add names to faces um, is a unique gift that very experienced politicians have but because yes. i don't recognize faces at all um, uh, it's a gift uh, that i will never have and um, as such uh, the recognizing of uh, individuals and um, even people i know very well uh, that i uh, would meet that uh, 
uh, I wouldn't recognise can be slightly embarrassing, but then it does uh, send home the message uh, that I am uh, somebody with a severe eyesight difficulty. And um, you know, people more often than not now, particularly colleagues, will if they think I'm struggling to recognise them uh, uh, very quickly, they'll tell me who they are, which is something that is uh, it means that they are comfortable with my disability and uh, it makes life a little bit easier for me. Obviously, reading is a major challenge because I I fall within the realms of not being totally blind and uh, obviously not having an adequate level of sight to be able to read uh, and even read large print. So I, if I was totally blind, I would have had to learn Braille and um, obviously I don't uh, have the skill set uh, of Braille, which is a disadvantage. So because of that, then I have to prepare uh, uh, probably more than most. Uh, I have to be on top of my brief and um, because when I do go speaking, I have to speak off the top of my head. Uh, I can't read a script. If I'm in the Shannon, I have to speak uh, without scripts or without notes because uh, I'm not in a position to read them. And um, if I'm doing uh, television or uh, radio interviews, I again haven't got speaking points in front of me uh, because I can't read them. Uh, so essentially, I have to know my speaking points and I have to be prepared uh, for everything I do. I have to be better prepared than most colleagues for everything I do. And I have to, uh, I suppose, be able to think on the spot and, um, you know, you build up those skills uh, over the years. So I suppose there's a myriad of challenges, a myriad of difficulties and a myriad of, um, you know, uh, obstacles. Um, uh, but like it's life and, you know, I suppose I have successfully overcome them um, uh, over the last 17 years in public life. And, you um, you know, I'd, I'm a member of Shannon Aaron today, and I'd like to think that, um, you know, the fact that I have, um, you know, overcome them, that it would, I suppose, send out a signal to other people that, you know, that there's ways and means um, uh, to achieving uh, your goals. Yes, very much so. And, and it's great to hear that because certainly, as you say, um, being a, a public figure and being representing your constituents you genuinely haven't, uh, you can't anticipate every single question that's going to be thrown at you or you can't anticipate um, issues that be, might be raised and yet you need to be totally across your brief um, all the time. It, it does pose pressure on you and um, you, you've certainly been able to, to rise to that challenge by all accounts. Yeah, and you know, the, the thing is that um, colleagues of mine would have um, a suggested response to most issues. So if they were attending a public meeting or if they were um, uh, attending a media interview um, and they, they would have suggested responses and um, speaking points uh, on a whole range of, range of issues. So I, I don't have that luxury. Um, so like, you know, I have been in a situation where I've just had to, had to explain that I didn't um, have the answers. And I think people appreciate that too. Well, it, it, correct. I mean, people prefer honesty, uh, particularly amongst politicians, um, so that you can be upfront and say, listen, uh, I'll come back to you on that, um, yep. is more of a favourable response than trying to, to waffle through it. Um, and I suppose you've outlined there some of the, the challenges that, that you face. But can I ask, in your view, what do you think are um, some of the other barriers preventing people in general who are blind and vision impaired? from living their life to the max and what you think the solutions would be? Um, in my view, the solutions uh, uh, are in the future going to be technology based. 
and um, I mean, a lot of work has been done now in schools um, and uh, universities and even primary schools. Um, when I went to integrated education in the uh, late 80s, uh, early 90s, um, down in County Clare and in Estimon, uh, there wasn't resource teachers and there wasn't SNAs like there is today. Uh, yeah. The supports I had was a, a very nice man. He was a, the visiting teacher for the, the, the blind uh, who visited the school once or twice a year. And um, then uh, I suppose my advancement and uh, was very much reliant on the support of teachers uh, who did go up, uh, who did go above and beyond the call of duty really uh, to give me the supports and then neighbours and friends and family uh, to give me the extra supports that I needed in terms of reading uh, and so on. Uh, whereas today the state do provide a significant level of support for um, people with all sorts of disabilities and vision impairments. Now, an awful lot more can be done. And um, I think that uh, there's the challenge. Um, you know, the, the barriers are there. Uh, when I was in college, um, I was uh, involved uh, uh, with an organisation called the HEAD, the Association for Higher Education, Access and Disability, uh, that wrote policy documents um, uh, uh, for different uh, disabilities and um, I suppose essentially became the uh, the, not necessarily the lobby group, but the uh, advice structure that uh, third level colleges relied upon. Um, yes. I'd like to see the same type of thing happening uh, in uh, in terms of uh, employment, because um, it depresses me uh, all the time to see the amount of people with disabilities and particularly the amount of people with vision impairments who find it so difficult to get on the employment ladder. And uh, if the supports uh, are there, um, you know, you have very bright people uh, with vision impairments and you have uh, uh, people who might be so bright, but have a huge amount to offer. So I think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done in, 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 in using technology uh, to, uh, if you like, demolish the barriers. And also uh, there's a huge amount of work that needs to be done uh, to encourage employ employers in the private sector, particularly, you know, companies to say, listen, uh, let's if you give people an opportunity uh, and the government really needs to, you know, I suppose, do a lot more in terms of providing uh, uh, financial support to the private sector. Uh, to put in the necessary equipment, uh, whether it's um, big screens for visually impaired people or whether it is um, technology associated with Braille um, uh, and, and, and other technologies, because like, you know, nobody uh, wants um, a, a private company to be out of pocket uh, by hiring somebody with um, a vision impairment. That said, uh, if the government um, stepped up and uh, did provide uh, financial support, um, I am absolutely convinced that uh, the private sector would benefit enormously from um, uh, employing people with disabilities because people with disabilities are, are not afraid of working harder and they, they, they know that they have barriers and um, uh, are, are quite happy to, to to roll up their sleeves and get on with it. Um, I, many of the vision impaired people I know uh, are, have a great sense of get up and go. Uh, they just want to get on with it. Yes, they get cross and annoyed at uh, the barriers that are there, but many of them just want to uh, play their part in smashing barriers. And, um, you know, I, I think that there's there's a great determination 
um, in the particularly the 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 the, the groups of uh, visually impaired people who have gone through university for the last 20 30 years gone through colleges gone through apprenticeships and I meet people every day that um, you know uh, that, that have achieved uh, so much but there's so many other people who are not reaching their potential and that's why the conversation needs to happen between uh, um, the state uh, private companies and in, in not in an adverse uh, in an adversarial way but in um, in a supportive and an encouragement way and that's why um, uh, internships uh, that uh, like the NCBI have um, um, you know, have, have a great internship where um, uh, they take uh, graduates um, onto a training program and uh, give them the opportunity of paid work. Um, and I know there's lots of other companies that do something similar, Citibank in particular. And you know, uh, but there's so much more potential for that. And and I think that you know, you know, the greatest e equalizer in life is for somebody to, to have a job, to earn money, and to pay taxes, uh, because that is what people do in life. And um, uh, that then funds their uh, their family and they're their, their buying a house and um, you know participating in society, and um, that gives people so much uh, fulfilment and um, so much satisfaction. And within the employment uh, uh, sphere, then um, people have the opportunity to uh, to grow and to 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 to, to get promoted and to show their skills. Uh, but it's that initial step onto the the employment ladder. Um, in a meaningful way, it can be very challenging and very difficult for people. And, um, you know, I see that as the, the big challenge going forward. But I'm very optimistic because I know technology is improving constantly. Um, when I got elected to the Shannon first, uh, um, I, uh, iPads had just been introduced and um, it, it made life uh, easier for me. Whereas had I been elected to the Shannon 10 years prior to that, there wouldn't have been iPads. And I'd have had to have um, stuff enlarged into very big print. Uh, whereas uh, now you can do so much work even on your phone. And uh, I have no doubt that that's even going to continue. And I'd be very optimistic uh, that maybe in 20 years time, that somebody in my position will be able to sit into a Google uh, self-drive car that will bring them to work and look at the equality uh, that that will create. Because as it stands, when I travel to Dublin, I travel in public transport. So um, my uh, uh, time of departure from home is dictated to by the timetables uh, that are available from Bus Airden and Erin Road Airden and uh, Dublin Coach. And uh, while they are very generous and there's lots of uh, options, uh, imagine the, 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 the imagine, you know, the sense of um, uh, uh, empowerment and, uh, and um, your sense of equality that you would get if you were able to decide yourself what time you leave home and uh, set yes, a yes. setting in a car and uh, land to Dublin. It would make everything so much more efficient. Um, so, you know, I think that um, there's, there's a lot, um, uh, there's a lot uh, that can happen through technology to liberate people. And uh, th that would be my, my great hope. And that's why I'm a very strong advocate in terms of money being spent on uh, research uh, and uh, adaptive technology and um, so on. Yeah, I mean, you're dead right. Technology is such an enabler for people with sight loss. Certainly, an area of work that MCI is invested heavily in. And I suppose, in connection with the employment piece, as you rightly identified, fortunately, the number of people who are blind or vision impaired in the labour market is very, very low, at about 
And I do think, as you say, there's a key piece of work there of supporting employers, be they in the private sector, the public sector, or in the NGO world, um, of trying to support employers to be aware of the huge potential um, and to debunk some of the myths that um, employers can can make, um, which can then kind of perpetuate and, and, and fuel the, the low employment rate. Um, and certainly there are initiatives out there, um, but certainly more more can be done um, to ensure that there's uh, opportunities for people who are blind and vision impaired to take up a breadth of employment opportunities, whether it's self-employment, part-time, casual work. Um, and I think there's a, a key piece there around ensuring that the, the social welfare system doesn't um, compromise a, a person's ability to take up um, a range of employment opportunities. Yeah, the welfare trap is a problem. And, it is, uh, yeah. You know, we, we need, uh, and I think that some a body of work has, has been done already to at least address it, but more work does need to be done. Um, I suppose, look, at, you're, you're dealing with a situation where we're in the middle of a global pandemic, so a lot of things that should be done are probably on hold, uh, but uh, as time goes on, uh, you know, things are going to settle in that regard. And I would certainly hope that, um, you know that that uh, you know the, the the kind of the welfare trap or uh, uh, the disincentive, like people losing their medical card and that type of thing, um, because they're they're taking up employment. Um, that that's that type of um, if you like punishment for doing the right thing has to stop. And uh, I think there is an acceptance uh, across the political divide um, that we need to be encouraging people to to take up employment and not discouraging them and certainly not penalising them. Um, so I would be in full agreement with with that analysis, June. Yeah, and I, I suppose just from some service users would be uh, highlighting to us that the social welfare system is is exceptionally inflexible because we know the social welfare system is like a, a maze essentially, and it's um, built on a very kind of paternalistic model of full time nine to five working pattern, um, whereas actually in reality people taking up employment opportunities could be engaged in part-time work or casual work or self-employment or whatever their situations are. Um, so I, I do think um, the greater flexibility within the social welfare system is required as, as we move forward. And, and I, there th are I think the pandemic certainly has, uh, has shown, and when we move beyond the pandemic and post-COVID, um, the, the, uh, I think that, you know, we are going to have to be more flexible with the social welfare system. To be fair to the system, uh, it did respond uh, uh, very quickly, literally almost overnight, uh, to a situation where hundreds of thousands of people were, were out of work and they got their 350 pandemic unemployment payment. Sure. Uh, so what I want to see going forward is that that type of flexibility um, uh, becoming the norm uh, within uh, the social welfare system because it, it it's now known as the Department of Social Protection and um, uh, and, and, and you know, the, the, like the, the idea is that you know, like it, it's supposed to be a stepping stone uh, uh, to people returning and, and getting into full employment. And um, you know, I think that certainly there's an acceptance um, uh, uh, politically. Haven't spoken uh, on this issue at length to the former uh, social uh, protection minister in terms of Regina Doherty and the current one, Heather Humphreys. And I think uh, Heather Humphreys demonstrated. Uh, uh, 
that the system has to become more flexible when she uh, there was a situation with um, a, a PhD student down in County Mayo uh, yes, yes. where that, that student uh, was going to be in a situation where they were going to lose certain entitlements um, if they took up their PhD uh, because uh, somebody with a disability, I'm not quite sure which what disability it was, uh, but uh, the minister intervened and forced the system to provide the flexibility. So no other person who was offered the great opportunity of doing a PhD uh, will be will be in a situation where they lose that. So I, you know, I think that we're we're starting on the journey, and hopefully the journey won't take too long. But um, certainly, I would be very hopeful that uh, we will see we will see more flexibility going forward um, to encourage people to take up employment as opposed to discouraging them. Um, so to conclude, what would what one piece of advice would you give a person who's recently diagnosed with a sight loss condition? The first thing I would say is um, it is very traumatic, obviously, and very uh, difficult and challenging when somebody is um, diagnosed with sight loss. Uh, but what I would say to them is there is help available and to engage with the NCBI. Um, you know, there, there's huge supports there um, in terms of peer counselling, um, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, training, mobility training, and in terms of technology. Uh, we're in a different world now and there is huge opportunities and um, there's a, a, a very supportive community there. Uh, so reach out and uh, uh, seek help and seek advice and seek guidance and uh, uh, you will find that uh, there's fantastic supports. Um, again, uh, during the pandemic, uh, NCBI uh, along with other organisations proved uh, 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 the, the, the work they do um, uh, uh, is phenomenal, particularly in terms of supporting people who find themselves in a difficult and lonely situation. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm always an eternal optimist uh, as best I can be. And I uh, would just encourage people to engage with the services because they are there and um, they're very, very good. Thank you very much for that advice. Um, and I suppose if any listener is interested in availing of our services, feel free to call the info line 1850 33 43 53. Um, and any concluding comments you'd like to make, Senator Martin Conway? Um, you know, uh, I've had the privilege uh, of being a member of the Oireachtas, um, being a senator uh, for the last 10 years. And, um, you know, I've had the opportunity of being spokesperson in justice for two terms. And um, uh, now I'm the spokesperson in health. Uh, which is an exciting and challenging um, uh, brief to have uh, during uh, a pandemic and uh, health. I think most people realise now uh, that our health service was underfunded and our disability services were underfunded. Um, and, um, you know, it's up to people like me to advocate to ensure that the proper fundings are, are, are put in place uh, in a smart way to deliver real results to people uh, to make a, a, a huge difference to their lives. And, you know, politics can work and does work. And, um, you know, we've proved, uh, uh, I suppose, again, over the last 12 months that we have contained as best we can a pandemic uh, that has done an awful lot more damage in a lot of other countries. Uh, uh, and when time uh, passes, it'll be 
shown very clearly that um, you know Ireland actually managed and performed as well. So we need now to harness those skills uh, in terms of rebuilding a social care and a health service that when people need uh, care and support and interventions, uh, whether it's in the area of mental health, whether it is in the area of physical health, or whether it is in the area of providing the opportunities to people with disabilities, um, that that happens. And I suppose as the uh, only visually impaired member of the Oireachtas, I will always advocate in any uh, setting or opportunity I can uh, for better supports and services uh, for the, the 220,000 uh, blind and visually impaired people in this country. And um, any of your listeners, whoever want to get in touch with me, um, they can, you know, they'll get my email and that by just Googling me. And um, I'm very happy uh, to give any advice or support to anybody uh, at any time. I mightn't be able to resolve problems, but I certainly um, am there to listen and uh, just to give advice and maybe connect people in with yourselves and the services or uh, with uh, government departments where applicable. Um, so with that, I'd like to thank you very much for this opportunity. It's great to, to catch up and have a chat and to wish everybody um, uh, good health and, and uh, stay safe uh, during these difficult times. Thank you very much and thanks for the opportunity to have a chat with you and um, I'm delighted that your door is always open for um, people with sight loss and for the constituencies in uh, Clare um, and I wish you all the all the best and thank you very much. Thanks a million, Joan.